0: Well, I, again, I'm excited about the new prospects for this year and, and closing out a, a great year. But, you know, uh, not everyone is excited about the new year, right? Some, some may remember their New Year's resolutions last year that they're having to face again because they didn't meet those. And so uh, some people will meet the new year with a, some pessimism, right? And it's not hard to do to, to be pessimistic in this day and time, is it, with, with all that's going on? Uh, I want to go ahead and give you the title of the message instead of waiting until we get into it a little bit. Uh, Why Jesus is not a pessimist and why we shouldn't be either. Why Jesus is not a pessimist. If you want to turn to Ephesians, the fifth chapter of Ephesians. We're going to just look at three verses here. Verses 15 through 17. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15, 16, and 17. It's good to have. Uh my relatives here, my oldest sister Cindy and her husband and Josh and and uh Emily and Lauren and Lucas and Ben and uh I think I think I got it there. But we we've got a, a good section. You know, it's always good when your family comes to visit holidays because all the other folks that, that are usually in church that are visiting other relatives, it kind of feels like we've got the full crowd again this morning. But good to have them here. I won out against Danny Cheney at Rogers First because we have my sister Julie over there, and sometimes they, they end up there for the holidays. So uh, I'm going to rub it in Danny, uh, Pastor Danny's nose that I got them all here this Sunday. All right, Ephesians chapter 5, the fifth chapter, Ephesians, verses 15 through 17. My text today is short, just three verses, but as you know, many times uh, short scriptures hold some of the most uh, volume of, of information or or teaching and and that's often the case in the scripture but this question that i pose really it's more of a statement but you could look at the question why why is jesus not a pessimist and why we shouldn't be either uh we it comes from the middle verse that we're going to look at which speaks of making the most of every opportunity because these days are evil it, it's kind of that old adage of some look at the glass as half empty right while others look at half full. With all that we've seen in the past, pick three years, five years, the, the 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 going on in the world, it's easy to look at the glass half empty. But we need to hear what God is saying to us because we do indeed live in difficult times. I I of of all people are fascinated by biblical prophecy coming true. You look at what's happened in Israel, what's happened just in. The last few years, you look at the last 10 years, last 50 years, you can see uh, that biblical prophecy is coming true. And I uh, firmly believe that we should be uh, paying attention to that and paying attention to the time, time that is coming. But then we look at, we need to hear what God is saying to us in these difficult times of his word because the worldwide global, uh, global economic crisis Which seems like it never goes away fully, right? We have a few years where people say things are looking up, and you know you wait seven years and it's looking down again, and and tragedy and all kinds of gloom and despair. But really, a lot of the economic crisis they've cost trillions of dollars in lost wealth. People experiencing those times where they had a a optimistic look to the future for what their retirement would look like, sometimes going away completely, lost pension plans. lost uh, wealth that had been accumulated for their golden years. And so with this loss comes rising uncertainty. In 2009, and I want to give you a reference point for this, four years after Hurricane Katrina, in 2009, New York pastor David Wilkerson, author of The Cross and the Switchblade, issued a message predicting imminent catastrophe for America. He spoke of cities burning because rioting and looting, Bank, there'd be a run on banks. Banks would close down and not be, uh, people's money wouldn't be available. Grocery stores would be out of food, widespread throughout the nation. Uh, There'd be a panic. that same year, Peggy Noonan, uh, which was a writer for the Wall Street Journal, uh, mentioned in her weekly column under the title, she mentioned this, what David Wilkerson said, but mentioned under the title, there's no pill for this kind of depression. There's no pill for this kind of depression. And she begins by noting that the problem is not just the economic crisis. There is, she says, something much deeper. Then also, in that same year at a meeting of well-known sociologists, it was said that there is a pervasive sense of anxiety as though everyone feels they're on thin ice. Maybe a sense that we've had it too easy since the years of 9-11, they say, and that the bad guys are uh, just about to appear on the horizon. Another quote was taken, things look like they've changed and may not come back. Now, I think I could stop there, and if I had not told you the reference point of the date when that was spoken, you'd probably think that was something that was currently written about today's times. Some, in this same uh, instance, wondered about the widespread use of antidepressants after 9-11 and went on to ask, did that somehow contribute to the loss of restraint that helped create the artificial euphoria that led to the irrational greed and fueled financial collapse of 2008? What they're saying is basically what a lot of us do is kind of like when you know that you need to be on a diet, sometimes you binge eat, right? If you know that there's a crisis coming financially, sometimes people, instead of saving, they actually will blow more money. It's kind of like, well, if I'm going to go out, I'll go out in style. And so this question was posed, you know, is, is this not only something they're experiencing then, in 2009, after the 2008 crash, um, you know, maybe that's leading to this, and this is just something that we are re-experiencing every so often. And maybe, who knows? They point to a number of other factors. Every time they say fear of economic collapse or tyrannical leadership is inserted, here's a few things you watch happen. Gun sales go up. Sometimes through the roof. People are amassing cash and gold. A little side note on that. It's funny if you uh, follow Dave Ramsey, financial piece. Dave Ramsey, who, who has a radio show and does Christian financial um, uh, teachings, uh, says that it's funny that people will go and trade in and, and get a bunch of gold when they think the dollar is going to collapse and that the, the whole financial system could going to collapse. He says, because that won't be your bartering tool. Who cares if there's not food and water Who's gonna care about an ounce of gold or a pound of gold? You got a pound of food and some water, that'll buy you more. And so he says it's crazy to, to when you think that everything's gonna to fail to save up gold. But people are starting to grow their own food in these times and they say church attendance appears to be up. Something is happening. But worse yet, I believe in the spiritual sense when these things happen is what happens a lot of times especially with evangelical uh, organizations or churches is that when these things happen people go out and and they, they have this bleak forecast on human society out there evangelical circles begin to predict the date and the end for this world as we know it. Well, I'm not just pulling that at random. I actually, just for fun, uh, looked at uh, Wikipedia on, online and found that uh, only 66 years after Jesus' death did someone start predicting his return, of uh, the return of the Messiah. That, that since then, you can look through, and there's hundreds of instances all the way up. How many remember? I, I remember, like it was yesterday, that I became pastor here January 8th, 2012. And that was a year of the Mayan calendar was going to end, right? I also remember Y2K that's in there right and we we've joked before about the book in 1988 88 reasons Jesus is coming back in 88 well, the reason I take issue with this is not because I'm against prophecy or looking for signs of the end times, but some people are so enthralled with this, they get so amassed in this that that they really live in it out of fear of what's coming instead of a hope for the future, and so they become a pessimist about the world about things instead of looking at the hope that the gospel gives to those who still remain. I remember like yesterday when the end of 2012 happened and. The next week, I was afforded the opportunity to joke about how wrong they were about the world ending in 2012. You know, there's still predictions going on. In fact, in that same Wikipedia article, it starts again this year. Um, with that planet that was supposed to destroy us before, uh, Nebu. I think that, I don't know, Planet X, I think they refer to it too. is now it, they were wrong. It's going to come back, right? It's going to end. A- and up to, I mean, more than a couple hundred years in the future, they're already predicting that's the end, uh, if you, uh, depending on who you're talking to. But something's happening. You know, people say they've long since lost their faith in government, and I say that's hogwash. The reason is is because you would not see the kind of emotion and sometimes anger and sometimes violence over election results, right, if people weren't still putting all their hope and faith in the hopeful turnaround of government. We we sometimes stake so much on things that we know are going to disappoint us. Many people feel they've been lied to about society in general. I mean, how else would we explain the mess we're in? And the pervasive cynicism about our leaders seemed to cross party lines. Noonan, who wrote the article that I spoke of, spoke to a psychiatrist who analyzed the mood of his patients this way, and, and this is something that's not just from 2009, but we see continuing. People feel unled. Like they have no one to lead them. Overwhelmed. The situation seems unsalvageable the net result is uh, he thinks what he is seeing within and without his practice is a psychological pandemic of fear as a result of the things of our country and even mankind the things that are happening in the world this column writing ends with these sobering words the moment we're living in now is a strange one a time that seems full of endings too bad there's no pill for that Boy, if you'd been reading that in 2009, you'd think there's not going to be a 2010. Now, what should we say about all this? First, I largely agree with the analysis of the current national mood uh, from from those writings even up to today. I mean, it's hard to be optimistic if you're one where your pension fund went away. You worked for decades to build one, and now it's gone because of the economy or because of leadership decisions or if your job's been downsized. I, I remember sitting there in an in a office when I worked at Walmart corporate office when the first big layoff happened, and I didn't know that the people were making that decision just next door to me, and I actually, if I'd want to overhear their conversations or try to focus on it, I would have heard it coming. That's how close I was to, to that event. Uh, we knew of someone who used to be a new song, 21 years at Walmart, a successful career, only to be laid off, and Of course, they reinvented themselves and went and became a physical therapist and and very happy and doing well. But but it's hard to be optimistic when these things come your way. Second thing is I have no idea whether David Wilkerson is right or not because sometimes those things can be prophesied and they may happen years later. Um, Some would say that it's already come to pass. Uh, Some would say he might be too late because Hurricane Katrina mimicked that. Um, Some others say not yet but will be. Some say he just described every seven-year cycle of unrest in the economy since the Great Depression. If he is right, then there are dangerous days ahead. But the third thing, I do believe that times like this often occur at hinge moments, we'll call them. Hinge moments like, like for instance, when, when God was trying to get the attention of the children of Israel many times and they'd be put in captivity and things would get really hard and then they'd cry out to God and God would rescue them. And so God many times, I believe, is allowing us to be just like Job was a righteous man and he got put through it, right, as a test to to show the enemy that God's people will stand, right? So whether you're a righteous man or whether you're a sinner, either way, it rains on the just and the unjust, what Scripture says. And, and we don't know but what sometimes God has had to do for the greater good of our country to bring us through a time to get the attention of the people. And we see in Scripture where many times our role isn't to try to figure out what's wrong with the situation rather than to call out for God's mercy on our nation and the people. To ask forgiveness for the sins of the people. We see that. We think, how can we do that? Well, it's very scriptural for us to have that kind of um, concern and that kind of uh, a care for what's, the people that are lost and dying. Sometimes it's like we're in the, uh, the circus trapeze where you see them where one's grabbing hold and being pulled off from another to be able to, to, to reach the next trapeze coming. That sometimes God may allow us to be pulled from something which we felt safe in and have to get in a time of discomfort and, and feel danger before we can feel safe in His arms. We can't predict. I mean, we don't have a crystal ball to predict what will happen the next six weeks, eight months, or five years from now. The secret things belong to our Lord our God. And, and even on a small scale, we can't predict what will happen uh, when the stock market opens tomorrow or the next day or ten years from now. Some will say, oh, yeah, they, they predict it, and sometimes they're pretty close. Yeah, well, they can't guarantee 100%. So how should we live in times like these? Our text offers us three ways, each of one filled with clear direction on the days to come. These three simple texts, these three simple uh, verses, things are getting worse, and there's great opportunities for the children of God. Should we be optimists or pessimists? Is a question. Or should we be somewhere in between? Let's see how God's word helps us answer those questions. The first one, in the first, watch your step. Watch your step. Be very careful in verse 15. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. The, the, to be careful means literally to walk accurately or precisely. The King James uses the old word, Circumspectly, which which it has the idea of walking a narrow path along the side of a steep mountain. One of the fads that I can't understand right now is in thrill seeking. Is uh, showing Jennifer a video of this guy on a skyscraper, and you can see skyscrapers all around. Some of the young people are on their head, YouTubers, right? And and he's riding a bicycle on a ledge about that wide, with hundred of several hundred foot drop, and up at the top of skyscrapers, and he's doing that to get the likes and the watches right on. on on YouTube, and hopefully make money from that. The idea, this circumspectly, it it has the idea of walking on a narrow path along the side of a steep mountain. Keep your eyes open lest you take a wrong step and plunge to your death. Sometimes we're guilty of living too fast. In Arkansas, I guess we could put on all of our tombstones, uh, especially with Walmart world, right, is hurried, worried, and buried. It'd be spelled different because it's Arkansas. Hurried, worried, and buried. We're we're in such a a fast-paced society. We make too many snap judgments, too many hasty decisions. Uh, We speak too fast. We move too fast. Well, us northerners speak too fast. We react too fast. Sometimes we answer before we even hear the question. How many ever did that in school? You're trying to look smart. Teacher starts to ask a question. You didn't hear the full question. You answer, and you're way off. But we just keep pressing the throttle of life toward, uh, toward, towards uh, the end because we've got too much on our plate and we dare not slow down or we won't be able to catch up with everyone else. It's even possible in the name of God to go too fast. I've learned that. I mentioned many times about how my first year of pastoring, I said, yep, God's told me we're going to start a, a Spanish-speaking congregation and so we're going to get right going on that. And it didn't happen until four years later. Sometimes we want to right the wrongs of the world too fast, so we'll hop on social media and think that we can bash some people over the head and get them to see the light. We try to win the world too fast because we speak too quickly. Our our words are hasty and ill-timed. We go before we're ready. We speak before we have anything to say. We teach before we've been taught. And we build high before we build deep. It's, It's one of the things that we can get a trap in even if you're a pastor it's like being in the Bible Belt. You got all these churches, and you got one pastor saying, "How many got saved at your church this year?" You know, because every year we have to fill out a report. That says how many saved. Oh, we had 15. Or the next one, oh, we had 20. And then the guy that had zero is over in the corner, cowering, hoping he doesn't get asked. Right? I think the harder question I've mentioned before is the one a few down that says, "How many still attend your church?" Because I've said one of the weaknesses we have is discipleship. We, we, we can report all these salvations, but then do we care for what God has placed in our care? And, and are they still here later? What happens when you hurry, hurry, hurry? Well, you don't watch where you're going and you trip and fall. Fortunately, one of those YouTubers lost his life not long ago because he was trying to do pull-ups on a skyscraper. And whatever happened, apparently he wasn't ready or didn't count on the wind or whatever fell to his death. The answer lies not in buying a planner or getting more organized. But those ancient words of the psalmist is what matters when it says, be still and know that I'm God. I had a Bible college professor that he started every class with you having to repeat, there is a God, and we have to say there is a God, and you say, and you are not him. And we would repeat that because he wanted to always remind us that, that there are, there is, the majority of our life is out of our control, that only God, when we put our hope in him, can he our future when we slow down enough to get God involved we discover that he can do more through through us than we can ever accomplish on our own the second thing is redeem the time that we see from the scripture verse 16 making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil the King James version uses the word redeem as in redeeming the time but to us redeem is a salvation word those of us that maybe grew up in church we hear redeem and we think of salvation but it's actually a term that was first uh, used uh, as, as a word meaning from the marketplace to buy back or to purchase something you redeem something when you buy it for your own you'll note in the NIV it used the word opportunity instead of time because the Greek language has two basic words for time one refers to the passage of time like we think of. What time is it? it? It's such and such time. Okay, it's time to leave. But the other use of the word is more in reference to, uh, not not to the strict passage of time, but to the moment of opportunity that requires action. It's what Dr. Martin Luther King meant when he told the vast crowd gathered at Lincoln Memorial on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. on August uh, that day in August 1963, he said, We've also come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. The fierce urgency of now. That, that being in the moment. You know, we see scripture that says, Don't reminisce about the good old days. That's foolishness. Another scripture that tells us, uh, Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow, will worry about self. It gives you the sense that as a Christian, Christ follower, as a Christ believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, our Messiah, that he doesn't want us to be focused on the past or the future as much as what is right here, right now, that's in front of us that he has for us to do. But that's not all. Paul says there is a particular reason we must redeem the time and grasp the fierce urgency of now. We check that little phrase at the end of verse 16. It says, because the days are evil. Here's another translation. In the message, these are desperate times. Paul writes these words while chained to the guards in the Roman jail. The emperor was a man by the name of Nero. The reason he was there, uh, a perverted excuse for a king. And we see that uh, before long, he would set fire to Rome and blame the Christians. Later, he would order Paul beheaded. But Ephesus was a city wholly given over to heathenism. We've got the, the goddess Diana in the temple there that it was all about sex. And so, and so there was a religion mixed with sex and a, a lot of immorality that went on. And this is one of the ancient writers said this of Ephesus. The Ephesians, their morals, were lower, their morals were lower than animals. Astrology, black magic, and sorcery joined with sexual perversion to produce a degraded form of idolatry that held ancient Ephesus in its grip. And all the time that this is going on, Christianity, uh, clouds of persecution are rolling on the horizon. And as the gospel spread, it encountered opposition in the form of entrenched interest and saw Jesus and his followers as a threat. So there's sometimes when people say, man, if things are going bad for you, then you must be doing something right. I don't really follow that and all that. I don't think you can just cookie cutter that. Some people cause their own drama. We've talked about that in a previous message. Some people bring it on themselves and their decisions. But there is truth to be said that you look at the the case of Job or you look at others, that there is a case to say that that when persecution comes, then maybe America is finally waking up and the gospel is starting to truly be spread. Because why else would the enemy oppose something that is not a threat? So, So that's what Paul meant when he said these are desperate times. I mean, like I've said before, when people say this is the worst it's ever been, right? Now, I know sometimes they're talking about America's history, but, but how can we really say this is the worst it's ever been? It's like I mentioned. Oh, the days of slavery wasn't worse than this. Um, what about across the worldwide? there's nobody getting ready to be beheaded here this morning for what we believe, right? So, so when we say they're worse, think about Paul's situation and the world he lived in. But evil days tempt us to despair. They encourage us to give up. To say we can't do it because the day is dark and the hearts of men have grown cold and there's nothing to be done. It, it kind of reminds me that sometimes we get to be a Jonah of sorts in our own country, thinking of our own country like Ninevites. Those people, God just needs to scorch their heads right off their shoulders, right? Those leftists, right? They need to just have their heads burned right off their shoulders. That's, that's what that would teach them, right? And, and so we become like, like a Jonah saying, I don't even care that those people die and go to hell. I don't want to share anything with them. They keep rejecting the truth. For one, I refuse to think like that. Sometimes we give up too soon. There's a, a quote from G. Campbell Morgan. says, Day of moral corruption special, Days of moral corruption offer special opportunities for the persecution of of great enterprise for the kingdom of God. I know it's hard to, to say this, and you're like, yeah, I don't want to tempt uh, the Lord to bring persecution my way, but in some sense as a Christian, we should be saying, bring it on. Bring it on. To, to quote a, a movie which Jen tells me not to do, I'm your Huckleberry, right? For you Tombstone movie lovers, that's a good movie, right? Bring it on. Because I know that if I get too comfortable and in my complacency, then I'll get fearful of everything, right? If I'm left to my own and not fighting for the kingdom of God, then all of a sudden I get fearful of everything. I start worrying about the economy. I start worrying about what food I'll eat, what what food I'll wear. Sometimes that's the truth. Holidays with this. But what clothes I'll wear, what food I'll eat, how my car's going to get fixed, how this is going to happen. The good news is the things that make it difficult for us to live as Christians are the things that make us shine. Hard times are blessing disguised. And let me tell you something, hard times is to everyone's um, perception, right? Hard times for me is what the temperature is going to be Tuesday morning when I have to get out there and do work outside, right? That, that's what's been looming over my head, right? And I'm starting to fear what it's going to be like to get out there. But, but days of moral compromise offer Incredible opportunities for the gospel. In other words, when the world is looking as bleak as you think it can look, that's the best time for you to get out and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ because people are more dependent on a need for hope than they are when things are going good. When the world around us seems to be going haywire, we have an incredible opportunity to display the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. The darker the night, The brighter the light shines, right? Third and last, do God's will. Verse 17, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I had planned to and don't have time to, but if I was to go and express what we would see if we were to watch the video of Martin Luther King's final speech, the one he gave in Memphis on April 3rd, 1968, the day before he was assassinated, is quite an incredible speech. And no matter whether you uh, think much uh, of his work or, or whatever, but there are some things that were very powerful that were very much in the character nature of, of what, what God would have us say. He, he, talks, about, he talks about how things are, are, the nation is sick, troubles in the land, confusion all around, but know somehow that only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. And he goes on to talk about what it means to live at such a crucial moment of history and and it applies uh, to the situation with the the, uh, sanitation of workers' strike in Memphis. And this is powerful what he says. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind, like anybody, I would like to live a long life longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about all that now. I just want to do God's will. And He allowed me to go to the mountaintop and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want, to, I want you to know tonight that we, as a people, will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. I just want to do God's will. I just want to do God's will. So then the final question you might ask me, Pastor CJ, are you an optimist or a pessimist? Well, so that I don't get called a hypocrite, I know you'll catch me in some pessimism before long because it's just the way uh, I have gone so far. But I'll tell you, I'm mostly an optimist because I know that God is in control of the circumstances of life. Sometimes the answer depends on where you're at at the moment. I get that. It's like being in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified on Friday. On Friday, pessimism reigns. But on Sunday, the truth surely dawned. The truth that Jesus rose from the dead, that he came out of the grave, and that he is the risen Savior. And the best part of that for us is we live on the other side of that empty tomb. We live in a time where we have the whole word. Think about those who all they knew is they were looking for the coming of Messiah, but was he it? And then he appeared and removed doubt from those followers. But we have the whole story and we know who wins in the end. We know without a doubt. We have no question. If you believe in his word, you have no question. We live on the other side of the empty tomb. So yes, Christians are both pessimists and optimists. But but we are much more optimistic because though we see what is happening in the world around us, we know that Jesus Christ conquered the grave, and because He lives, we will too. And that brings me back to David Wilkerson and Peggy Noonan's article and his prophecy. And again, I am not into uh, I'm not trying to say anything negative about another minister. I'm not trying to uh, cast a judgment there. I'm just saying while there are concerns. While I wonder what the future holds in the short term, I know who holds my future long term. And that makes me ultimately a biblical optimist. I don't like to wear out examples, and, and some of you have heard the story so many times you're probably sick of it, but you know, Jen and I, when the, when the boys, we found out she is pregnant, we had just the day before, wasn't it the day before, or that same day, we, had, we, we didn't know yet. And we were looking at our school loans, which is about $72,000. And I was making um, less than half of that a year. And we were looking at $92,000 total in debt besides our home, including vehicles and, and credit cards and the school loans. And so we had taken a loan calculator and put in there what how long it would take us to pay that off at the rate we were going. And I was going to be like in retirement age, at least like 70s or 80s. I said, Jen, we're going to be paying on this for the rest of our life. And so when we found out that she was pregnant, we actually cried, not happy tears. We were like, oh Lord, really? Now we, we don't have the money for ourselves even. And and you know, yes, we we became joyful that we we're having uh the boys and then we found out twins, even more so, but but we had no idea what God held for us. We had gone through Dave Ramsey financial peace over eight years ago, or longer than that, maybe, and uh you know, I thought I could outsmart Dave Ramsey, and so he said, until you pay off your debt, you don't invest in any retirement funds. And we had saved up like $18,000 through like Walmart uh, uh, incentives and different things like that and bonuses. And So, you know, we should have, if we are following his plan, put that on our debt. But instead, I was like, you know what? I saw that little chart about, I think it's Ed and whatever, and one of them starts saving younger, and he has all this million dollars by the time he's retired, I was like, we're going to do that now. And so we went and found a Dave Ramsey-approved advisor, and we sat down with him, and we said, we want to invest this money. And he said, well, what's your situation? We told him, he said, no, you can't. He wouldn't take our money. And that should have impressed me, but instead I was like, we'll just find somebody else. So we went to uh, our bank at the time and uh, met with a, a financial advisor, an investor, and investor, and it should have been a big warning sign when he said, boy, I, I'm really proud of you guys. I wish I could do that. I still just live paycheck to paycheck. That should have been my sign, not the... Let that guy help me. But instead we did, and guess when that was? Two thousand seven. Guess what happened in two thousand eight? Our eighteen thousand dollars went down to about seven thousand dollars. And it took over a decade to even get back anywhere near what we had in the beginning. If I'd listened to wisdom. And at that same time, with with all this looming, and then this prophecy comes that that banks are gonna close and the grocery stores are gonna go out. that that we, we kept getting encouraged to, to take that money that we had because we had had a motorcycle wreck and we were given $32,000 above our bills. And they said, you know, we didn't even ask for that. Insurance company just wrote a check because the guy was uninsured motors and we had uninsured motors and they said, oh, yeah, if you had a bigger policy, it would have given you more money because of your injuries. And we are being encouraged, you better hide the money. You better keep it back. You better do something. You better stick that under a mattress or something because banks are going to close on this. And you know what? Uh, if God had really given that prophecy and that was going to happen, then we would have been foolish not to heed it. But we had prayed and we knew that God said that money was to pay off debt and that he had plans for us. We didn't know. We didn't know we'd be in ministry. We just knew. But you know what? Combined with that, when we finally prayed, God, we're tired of trying to do this on our own. If you want us to go in ministry, we'll go and we know you'll pay for it. It wasn't but a few years later, we were all out of debt except for our house. God had helped us miraculously to to free ourselves from that. While I share these concerns with those who bring it, um, like I said, you could go through, and there are hundreds of examples of people predicting uh, Christ's return and trying to pick the date. But the Bible says only God knows the day. He tells us not to worry, not to fear, but to be focused on what He has called us to do, and that's to go and make disciples. These are great days to be alive, exciting days, amazing days, they're uncertain, yes, and sometimes uh, people can be frightened, but they're days given opportunity to reach the loss. And when we see evil advancing in the world, keep in mind what Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled in John 14.1. And then a non-biblical reference, Paul Harvey, if you liked his quotes. This is a Paul Harvey quote. In times like these, it helps to recall that there have always been times like these. In times like these, recall that there's always been times like these. There's one thing we learned in Dave Ramsey. He said, you know, um, people that are short-termers, when they invest, you know, um, it's, a, they pull out too soon or whatever, but if you look at it uh, over since the Great Depression, every seven years we have these dips or the sideways, but overall, you know, the stock market's gained. This isn't the class on stock market, but I'm just going to tell you that just like people worried in the Depression that uh, that was the end of the world, just like 2012 was the end of the world, just like 1988 when there are 88 reasons that that was the end, our focus isn't to be on when the end is coming other than to know that time is short and that we have a mighty task Ahead of us. I want to share with you in closing. A few scriptures. Exodus 15.2 The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Deuteronomy 31.6 Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. 1 Samuel 2.2 There is no rock like our God. 2 Kings 6.16 Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Psalms one, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalms 46.1 God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Psalms 103.12 As far as the east is from the west, so far He has removed our transgressions from us. Micah 7.18 Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. Romans 8.31, If God is for us, who can be against us? And in Hebrews 13.5, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And finally, John 4.4, 4, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Be encouraged. Let not your heart be troubled. Watch your step. Redeem the time and speak and do God's will every day. Why be a pessimist when we're living in the greatest days in history? I think about the opportunities that that are afforded when you give God complete control of your day. There's there's the attic that you meet on the street that's delivered. The, The checkout stand where someone who's getting ready to have a broken home and the hope of God's word heals that home. I remember, and I mentioned this in first service, I remember being a small child uh, on a front seat in in children's church and my mom doing the little felt figures. Remember the felt board, some of you remember? Or the black light and you had the chalk. And and remembering that, that it wasn't only the hope of the gospel that drew me to an altar to give my heart to the Lord. It was the fact that I saw something different in my parents opposed to my friend's parents that lived just a few houses down. I was like, there's got to be truth to this because the way I see them live. It, it was people in the church who were rock-solid believers who had a heart for, for reaching the lost that I saw that and I said, there has to be truth to this, even as a young boy. So I ask myself often, what is the difference in me and the world that makes someone say, I want to be a believer? And I keep coming back to over and over again when I watch what's happening in our church culture and I have in our world and I have to say... If I look at life through the pessimistic view that there is no hope for the future and that's what comes out of my mouth and that's what people see me project, why would they want to be a part of that when they already have it? But I'm here to spread the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That He does save and He still is alive and you can be with Him for all eternity. Jesus may come back in our lifetime and if that's true, things will get better and worse at the same time. In any case, we're not to despair. I'm reminded of the the words carpe diem, which means seize the day for God. We have to keep in mind that our role as believers is to point people to Christ. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Jesus, I thank you on this New Year's Eve day, God, that we come together to worship you, that we've been able to sing uh, uh, songs of expression of worship to you, Lord. And I pray that each did it with their whole heart, God, that they gave you the worship you due. But Lord, we also understand that when we come into your presence and when your word is spoken to our hearts, that God, that there is action required. So Lord, I just pray right now that those of us who have let the world, the fear of the world, the fear mongering the world brings, uh, discourage us, dishearten us, and turn our eyes away from the hope that you have afforded us through your gospel. Lord, I pray that we were, remi- we're reminded once again that You came into a world much worse than we are experiencing right now. That Jesus, You came into a world that was, that was horrible. You know, the situation was horrible. That even Your life on the line, Lord, and, and You still stood for the hope of the truth of Your Word. So Lord, I pray as Christ followers, we emulate, Lord, what You have done before us. Jesus, I pray for family members, Lord, whether it be uh, uh, Close family members or distant, Lord, in this holiday season. Lord, I pray that your word went out, your hope went out to those, Lord, who maybe are, are pulling away from you, Lord, or don't know you. God, I pray for those neighbors and those co-workers and those bosses, Lord, right now they are represented from this room. That, God, you open divine opportunities for us to be tested, to, to show what we have knowledge of, Lord, to show the hope that you've given us and to uh, exemplify that before others. God, give us the courage. I pray that in this coming year, in 2018, Lord, that many souls are one, many are discipled. Lord, that many are filled with your Holy Spirit. Lord, to be given the power to go out and turn their world upside down for you. And we just thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you. God bless you. And I hope you have a happy new year. And uh, re- remember Wednesday night, first service of 2018. Come at 6.30 and we'll have another time of worshiping God's Word. God bless you.